Hey guys, welcome to Overcrest. I'm Chris. And I'm Jake. And we got a couple cool things for you today. Yeah, We've got what do we have coming up? Gunther Works is coming on the podcast to talk about their Gunther Works 993, which is that super high performance, basically the the potentially one of the best air-cooled platforms technologically ever made. Right. So, we're so we to got him. to see a couple of these examples. Yeah, when we saw we were them out at the California. Peterson Museum. I've seen them cool. at uh I've seen them. I think I saw it at Car Week or or Ren Sport or I sure. you know I've seen them around there as well. And it's kind of the I don't want to compare it to Singer because it's kind <laughs> of like the antithesis of Singer because it's You're right. it's pure performance really is what what they're after. What we're also going to talk about the Rustic Roads, which is oh, something Wisconsin. that Wisconsin, which was what a a listener brought this up. And I thought it was a really great idea, so I started digging into it, and it's a great topic. Yeah, it's a cool program. Before we get onto those features, though, I'm super excited to tell you guys about our new sponsor, Petrol Box. And we're finally doing another contest, which yes, makes we are. me excited. So, so we'll get to that in a minute. I like it when people win. <laughs> I do, too. Everybody wins. No, but That's Petrol not true. <laughs> That's only everyone's one, a winner. <laughs> only, one, only once a month. Only once a month is that one person a winner, and everybody else is a loser. Well, but hey, the odd listens is a winner, Chris. <laughs> They're winning entertainment, and but the, the odds are better than a lottery up. ticket. So very true. All right. Anyways, Petrol Box is a monthly subscription service made just for car guys. Each month, they put together some of the coolest products and gadgets from around the industry and deliver it right to your doorstep. So you'll get select items such as tools, detailing supplies, shirts and other apparel, stickers, magazines. It's really cool kind of exciting uh, surprise every month to right. get on your doorstep. Right. And you know who are notoriously it's hard? Like a, it's like a jack-in-the-box, but instead of, the, instead of the stupid clown or monkey jumping out, it's car stuff that you actually like. <laughs> <laughs> Are they going to have to install a spring in the bottom of each box now because of that? So I can get hit in the, so I can get hit in the face with a flashlight? Yeah, I like it. No, I, I was going to joke, though. You know who's notoriously terrible to buy gifts for? Well, you. But you're kind of the poster child for, like, car guy who's very specific about things. Yeah. These make great gifts. Yeah, that's true. They, that's true. And we've partnered with them to offer a discount to you on your first month subscription. There are actually two levels to choose from. The Petrol Box Basic starts as low as $19.95 per month, less than $20. While the Petrol Box Premium gets you more gear for $13.99 a month. Check them out at PetrolBox.com and be sure to use our code Overcrest at checkout to re that, receive $6 off your first month's order. You know what I almost forgot, though? What? When you subscribe to them, every single month, yeah. they give away a set of rotiform wheels. That's pretty sweet. That is that is cool. So here's what we're going to do. We're for not giving away rotiform no, wheels. No, no. Let's not get everybody that but excited. we are giving away a petrol box this month. We are. So all you have to do is go on iTunes and leave us a five-star review. And everybody that's left us a review. It doesn't have to be a five-star review, Chris. Yes, it does. I'm only going to pick the five-star reviews? Yes. <laughs> okay. No, just leave us a review. Everybody yes. that leaves us a review, that's if you leave us a one-star review and tell us we smell like socks, I'm probably not going to enter you into the contest. But everybody else that's left a review, <laughs> us a review, past or present. So if you haven't left one, get in on the pool. Go yep. leave us a review, and we're going to pick somebody by random at the end of the month, and they're going to get a free petrol box in, I guess it'll be... It'll at, be the, the beginning of August, we'll Beginning say. of August, we'll announce that. So go yes. to iTunes. Actually, you know what? If you go, let's say you don't have an iPhone, and you have uh, somewhere else that you want to leave us a review... Sure. Do it. Send it to me, and I'll enter you in the contest. I'll make sure that you're in the pool if you leave it on Google Play go. or 
iHeartRadio or Spotify. I don't even know all the different places you can do it, there, but it, make yeah, sure you do that. Yeah, there are a lot of different yeah. platforms yeah. out there. So whatever podcast platform you're using, leave us a review. We'll get I you like in on that. that contest. We're being inclusive here. All right. So Wisconsin Rustic Roads. Now, um, one of our listeners, Jim Elliott, mentioned the rustic road thing that Wisconsin does. And I grew, I grew up in Wisconsin. So did you. Yes, I did. So we're familiar with these. There's these little blue, blue brown, brown. signs yeah. that have a picture of Wisconsin. It's yellow and it says rustic road. Yeah. And I never knew. I'm like, oh, this that just means anytime you see that, it means like detour now. <laughs> yeah. Because they're it's all a cool little old they're road. all cool roads. And so you go, you drive the roads there. They could be any road surface. It doesn't matter. They're always just these nice, quaint, beautiful roads. Right. And so I said, well, what I didn't realize this isn't a thing every state has. No, no, it definitely isn't. Like I looked into um, uh, Minnesota having something like this, but they okay. have the Minnesota Scenic Byway. Right. And which is not the same. I'll, I'll, I'll get to what that is in a second. But um, Virginia has this too, but it was just kind of like, uh, how do we pave the old gravel roads? So they kind of okay. like, let's find the rustic roads and pave them, oh. which is the uh, not really what Wisconsin was doing. No. So here's what Wisconsin requires to call something a rustic road. Okay. It must have outstanding natural features. I like that. Areas that set the road apart from other roads, which is a little subjective, but that's okay. Must be lightly traveled. Mm -hmm. No major improvements upcoming that would change its rustic characteristics. Interesting. Must be a minimum of two miles, and the maximum speed limit is 45. The rustic roads may be dirt, gravel, or paved. They can be one-way or two-way and have accommodations for bicycles, hiking, that kind of thing, like uh, sure. extracurricular activities. But those are the things that are required. So basically, if you live in a locality, you could go to your local government who then can lobby up to the state to get your road designated as a rustic road. Now, what's cool is every single rustic road has its own website. That on, is really cool. On uh, Wisconsin.gov or whatever it's sure. called. Yep. We'll link it in the in the show notes, but I couldn't find any other state that did this. And then I looked up what Minnesota was doing. Okay. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. Maybe Minnesota is doing something similar. We have the uh, Minnesota Scenic Byway Program, which seems more based around tourism. It is. Like the North Shore Road up by Duluth and Two Harbors, that's considered a scenic byway. Yeah. So basically, it's the way you go. It's it's A byway is generally like another way. Sure. The, the alternate route. Correct. So it's like the scenic alternate route, which is cool, but it's not as good as the obscure roads that Wisconsin has has put together. So um, I actually looked up who runs the scenic byway program. Okay. Her name's Holly. Okay. So I called Holly, and she is not there. So I left her a voicemail, told her I'm really interested in helping curate the scenic byway system of Minnesota, That's and told her I'd cool. and told her I'd love to help. And you know, if there's anything I can do, I love to drive. Blah blah blah. I'm a journalist. Blah blah. Yeah. And she's on vacation. Well, <laughs> so I don't have an interesting answer for anybody yet, but I will update when I hear back from Holly because I want to try and see if we can get this to be a little bit better, a little bit right. more, you know. Well, I like the Wisconsin concept because it doesn't have to be like a route somewhere like these byways yes. are. These are just like it's not you a, come across short little roads that happen to be very cool. And the rustic. Wisconsin ones aren't detours; they're destinations. The, sure, the Minnesota ones are. This is how you go an alternate way to do something. Yeah, I suppose. so it's that's that's the goal is to maybe we can get some cool roads and maybe I could go around Wisconsin and find roads for her and like go drive all over I'm sorry Minnesota I was going to drive all over state go drive all over Minnesota which would be great and find roads and I don't know maybe I could maybe I could write a book about great Minnesota roads and like 
my brain's like going way out. And none of this, this, none of this is going to happen. But well, it'd be cool for sure. Uh, How many of these rustic roads are there in Wisconsin? Do you know? I don't remember. Okay, I don't remember. There's around a it, hundred or something. It's fairly limited, though. Yeah, there's not many. There's only one on the Overcrest Rally. I don't okay. remember what it is, but there's only one. It seems like every road on the Overcrest Rally could be a rustic road. Right. So it's kind of like, well, how did how did we get to all these? Right. So I think it needs to be pretty special. And I yeah. think it a lot a lot of it has to do with the area that it's in. Yeah, that makes sense. Like if in the context of the county or locality that it's in, this road is really, really good. It's got some unique uh nature features for the area that it's in. It looks like there's 120 if I'm counting this correctly. There you go. Well you just counted to 120 really, really fast. Well they're numbered, so I was looking for the <laughs> highest number. <laughs> All right. Before we get to uh Gunther Works, why don't you tell us about our next sponsor? Yes, that's Renline. And I'm sure you guys all know by now they've partnered with us and are offering a great discount to you, our listeners. Uh they have great products. They're extremely high quality and beautifully machined they're designed performance products not only for Porsche, but also for BMW, Mini, Audi, and others. They've been in business for the past 20 years and have developed over 6,000 products to meet the needs of Porsche and other enthusiasts. Uh, as I've mentioned before, though, what really sets these guys apart, they aren't just another distributor that are drop shipping parts from China. All their products are designed and engineered right there in-house in Vermont. So do yourself a favor and head over to renline.com and use the code OVERCREST to get 5% off your next order, along with free shipping on orders over $250. All right, we'll be right back with Guntherworks. This is Peter. Hey, Peter, this is Chris from the Overcrest Podcast. How's it going, man? Hi, Chris. What's uh, What's the word? How's California today? Oh, it's uh, beautiful California weather. It's uh, 82 degrees and sunny. So. Oh, that's every day. So just, yeah, just we almost have you beat here in Minnesota. It's, I think, 85 today and sunny. No, wow. I, I'll go with the upper side. I'll go with California <laughs> weather any any day of the week. Um, so we talked a little bit of last week about about you and everything that you've been doing. Um, but what I really want to do is I want to dig into the foundation of of you and Gunther Works because I don't know that everybody knows where you're come where you come from and where your history is. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got started with cars? Yeah, so um, it really started out as uh, a hobby. Uh, I was supposed to be in finance and and investment banking, but uh, somehow I ended up uh, you know starting cars as a hobby and. Um, 16, 17 years ago, I founded a uh, carbon fiber composite factory, and uh, it eventually uh, was called Warsteiner. So we uh, manufacture high-end uh, aerodynamic composite parts and wheels for you know a lot of European makes like BMW, Porsche, Ferrari, and so forth. What was so, some of the first projects that you did with that company when you first started? What was what was your thing that you're like? This is the first one I'm going to do. This is going to be the one, the one project. It started out with um, BMW. That was really where my car fashion started. So it was a, it was actually an M3, a BMW M3. And we started making carbon fiber um, components for that. And we uh, were one of the first companies that actually implemented um, carbon fiber aerospace technology into the aftermarket car world. And this is really like, what year are we talking about now? We're talking like... Um, 2003. Okay, so carbon fibers, that's a pretty big deal to be working with carbon fiber in the aftermarket stuff at that time, right? 
Yeah, back then, um, early 2000s, there, there were there were a few um, German tuning companies that were making carbon fiber, but they were using um, a carbon fiber wet lay wet layup method, which is heavier and you know outdated technology. And uh, I had brought in uh, vacuum bagging uh, technology that's used in aerospace and Formula One into the aftermarket world. So we were really the pioneers in bringing that carbon fiber high tech into the automotive sector. So how did what did how did Vorsteiner kind of developed into you know doing wheels and you guys got really diverse what you guys were ended up working on? Right, yeah. So we we started uh, for the first couple of years, you know, manufacturing carbon composites for BMW. Then we expanded into Mercedes and Porsche. And a few years later, we had uh, branched out into the Gothics, and so we started out with Ferrari and moved into. Um, Lamborghini, McLarens, Rolls Royce, and Bentley, and so forth. Wow. So, yeah. what, what's the what's their favorite thing that you've done that's come out of Orsteiner? What is your passion that's come out of that specific brand? I'd probably say the biggest, you know, project that we've done was a wide body BMW M3. Are we talking E46 or? Yeah, it was actually an E92. Okay. So, yeah. So from Vorsteiner, did you, what happened? Why did you start Gunther Works? What, what, what precipitated that? So I've always had a dream, uh, a childhood dream to create my own car. And, you know, uh, Porsche's, Porsche 911s have always sort of, you know, stroke a special string in my heart. So I've always had a passion for Porsches. And, um, you know, after doing Borsteiner for the past, you know, 15, 16 years, um, we finally had the manufacturing technology and the know-how to be able to build pretty much 80% of the car in-house. Wow. The only thing we would have to outsource would be uh, the motor, which, you know, we don't have uh, expertise in. So well, you can't build a carbon is... fiber engine, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be yeah, light, but I, mean, I don't know that it would last that long. We can build certain components of the engine in carbon fiber, but obviously, yeah, majority of the engine right. is is uh, aluminum. So we had partnered up with um, Jeff Gamroth from uh, Roth Sport Racing in Oregon, and he's basically one of the top engine builders in the Porsche world. So sure. we basically married um, our, you know, body design and engineering with his with his engine, and that's just sort of how it all came to uh, fruition. So before we get into how you developed the car, how did you uh, come up with the name Gunther Works? What does that actually mean? So Gunther Works is actually, Gunther is um, one of the inspirations of our whole story because he was actually a German aerospace engineer. The guy that worked and on the Apollo you look project, at the, uh, right? Yeah, exactly. So if you look at uh, that movie with Tom Hanks, you know, in in the movie Apollo, he was uh, essentially the last person the astronauts would see through the glass before they went into space. That's to be the the last human that you ever see before you blast into space. That's, you know, that's right. I mean, you think you'd want to be a handsome guy. Maybe they'd put a pretty girl in there instead, but (laughs) some German, they put some German nerd in the way anyway. That's okay. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. 
So, I mean, that, that's how much trust they had in this guy is, is hey, you know, we're, we trust you. <laughs> we hope the, uh, the spaceship does not blow up on the way to the moon. So, um, <laughs> so his, his, you know, uh, story of his precision, accuracy, and reliability is sort of like the sort of foundation and the brand ethos around what we're trying to do as well, you know. So that was sort of the, the story that inspired the name. So you started doing aerospace with carbon fiber back in the day too. Do you guys do you have sort of a fascination with space and that kind of engineering that kind of has gone through the whole, you know, that 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 flow has been through the whole program since the beginning? Yeah, I've always been fascinated with aerospace. Um, I mean, aerospace is really the leading technology, you know, above and beyond cars. It, maybe with the exception of F one, but I mean, I think aerospace is you know, more advanced than Formula One even. Well, so, yeah, if, if a rivet goes out in space, you're, <laughs> right. you're kind of up the you, creek. You can't just go to the, the pit lane, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah there's, right. no, there's no corner worker pulling you out of the, uh, right. the International exactly. Space Station. No pit stop there. Yeah, you're just dead. So that's kind of like the, the ethos that, you know, that we like about the engineering involved with aerospace is there is no room for error. And so... Um, that's kind of like the way we like to approach, you know, car building as well, where we want to make sure that everything is over-engineered and is above and beyond safe and reliable so that customers don't get broken on the side of the road. Right. So how did the, how yeah. did you guys develop the chassis? Where did, what did you start? I mean, you start with the 993, but where do you go? Yeah. Okay. How can we make this better? How does, cause what you guys ended up with compared to a 993 is, to use a space term, light years away. <laughs> like, how do you All get right. from A to B there? Because it's such a difference. Yeah. So, the, the, you know, what we did is um, the 993 chassis um, has a outer suspension mounting point, right? That is actually built in to the chassis. So Porsche, because they're a homologated race car, um, has an inner and outer suspension mounting point on on the front of the chassis and the outer suspension mounting points were used by all the 993 cup cars and race cars. So what we did is we wanted to ensure that the track of the rear and the front were as square as possible, obviously for handling reasons. So most 911s have a wider rear track than the front and that's not optimal for, for racing or for handling. So we, brought out and mocked up the outer um, suspension mounting points in the front, squared up the front with the rear, and then we clay modeled and developed the body around the suspension. Why do you think Porsche the other so, around? They never really addressed this problem because, you know, that suspension design was around for, that shape was around for a long time. Why, didn't, why do you think they didn't do what you did? Porsche did use the outer suspension mounting points, you know, for their race cars. Right. Um, but um, I think that they didn't feel like the street cars, you know, were necessarily, um, they didn't require the, the suspension to be so dialed in where, you know, like in a race car where the handling has to be completely square and neutral. Yeah, Dr. You know, Joe is probably wanna, not going to notice the difference, is basically what you're saying. They, yeah, most most customers won't, and uh, they, they want to build a little inherent understeer in it just to have that safety uh, 
because they're they're building it for the everyman driver. Not everyone knows exactly how to handle a car. So right. I think there were some safety reasons that they've done besides potentially cost savings too. Sure. So how do you yeah. how do you develop the shape of the car? Because you don't want to go too far away from the original design, <laughs> but you want to kind of stay close and hearken to the original. But it has to be different because they want it to be yours. How do you go through that process of not of, of that balance? Yeah. So that was one of the trickiest parts is the the body design and the nine nine three being the last air cooled nine eleven and a lot of Porsche enthusiasts saying that the nine nine three is the most beautiful 911 ever made to date. It was like anything we do, we would potentially offend all the, the Porsche purists. So what we try to do is we try to imagine had Porsche continue to develop the 993 past 1998 and, and further evolve the car, how would Porsche design the car? So we have to think in terms of a Porsche design mentality where we looked at historic Porsche cars, you know, like the 993 GT2s and the 993 Turbos. And we even looked at a lot of GT cars like the 996 GT3, 997 GT3, and even the current GT3 cars and looked at their designs and tried to design it so it looks exactly like it came out of factory. Not, we don't want it to look aftermarket. So there's a lot of design elements um, in terms of GT3, um, Cura GT, and even the Porsche 959. Design elements that we've implemented into um, our packaging. Um, we also use uh, several clay modelers that worked at Porsche. Oh, cool. That happened to work on designing the GT3 and the Curve GT. That were very familiar with the um, design language of Porsche to to execute a lot of the clay modeling. So was it a lot of go and look at the clay model? Nope, that's not it. And then come back, and then come <laughs> back in like two days. No, oh yeah, I like that. Keep more of that, but take. I mean, it must have been a just an, an arduous process, yeah, just hours and hours and days and weeks. Yeah, there's. <clears throat> there's a lot of back and forth, you know, so it's, 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 it's a struggle <laughs> so, because uh, we have engineering requirements where we want it to look beautiful, but it's, it's not going to work with wheel clearances or handling and so forth. So it's, it's, it's a struggle balancing uh, both form and functionality and making sure that it speaks to the Porsche design language. So this is something that was probably significantly harder than doing what you're used to, which is taking a factory car and kind of adding on to it and, and doing things like that versus creating your own car. That must have been a challenge. Yeah, we're essentially developing the canvas as opposed to enhancing a canvas that's already there. You know, So right. I, I feel like it's easy, actually, to just take an existing design and you know design add-on parts to it. But develop a canvas almost from scratch it, it was very very challenging so how long did this whole process take you uh it took almost uh a year year and a half wow that's that's quite a time that's quite a time investment and in this yeah. period of time you're designing the chassis is um is rothman then is are they are they kind of working on the chassis or i'm sorry the engine or how do you 
because you want to design the the car to match the power of the engine did you kind of know what they have to match up at the end (laughs) yeah they got to go together i mean did you have a horsepower number in mind that that you had yeah we did so um we wanted to produce over 400 horsepower so we went to jeff and we asked jeff hey we want a four liter engine how much horsepower can you produce and he says oh i'm very comfortable making 400 plus so we ended up actually with a little over 430 horsepower and over 300 pounds of torque. But um, naturally aspirated, too. I think it's important to let everybody know that's naturally aspirated right. power. That's that. There's no turbo there. Right, air cooled, naturally aspirated. And uh, how and much Jeff does this has, car weigh? So um, the most recent um, commission that we just finished—that's fully exposed carbon fiber—that was uh, around 2,500 pounds. Dang, so that's, yeah, it's got a hustle. That's 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 light. So, do you have any performance comparisons? Have you had it on the track to kind of give like a back to back so you can see what kind of power this or what kind of times this thing's putting down? Yeah, so we were uh, a few months ago back testing at the uh, Laguna Seca, and uh, we did on the first day a one minute thirty three point one lap time. Um, so that was fantastic because actually it was uh faster than you know a 991 turbo s or a 991 gt3 rs just wow. to give everybody ferrari kind of an idea yeah ferrari 458 four, another 133 kind of in the neighborhood is a corvette z06 uh, mercedes-benz amg gtr dodge viper srt10 acr i mean wow. you're in you're in good company there and it's not just right. power there's lots of cars that make a ton of power that are nowhere the near that time. Around a track. So you guys definitely did fairly well on the suspension. Yeah, we're actually right there neck to neck with almost the uh, the Z06 C7 and the uh, Mercedes GTR. Um, unfortunately, on the second day, um, it had rained on us because on the first day we ran out of tires. So <laughs> we were we were getting prepped for the second day, and we were pretty comfortable probably losing another second and a half on the car because we were doing a lot of uh, suspension uh, tuning on the first day. But uh, unfortunately, on the second day, it rained, so we, we didn't have a chance to be in our own time. But I hopefully we'll go out there next year and uh, uh, we can beat the 133 time so, pretty uh, easily. Speaking of the future, what what is the future for this car and Gunther Works? What other plans do you guys have? Well, um, we're only building 25 of these uh, coupe performance versions. And most of them pretty much have already been spoken for. And um, next year, we uh, have already, we're going to start developing the uh, Speedster version of of, of this car. And um, we pretty much have the next uh, 10 years of models already planned out. That's fantastic. So you've you've pretty much yeah. set your sights on this. You you love this. So this was kind of a risky thing, obviously, for any anybody to do, but it's worked out, and it seems like it's what you want to do. I'll let you know in five years if it worked out. <laughs> <laughs> um, so before I let you go, I always ask everybody the same question at the end of the at the interv- at the end of the interview. What makes a car cool in your eyes? Any car it doesn't have to be a race car or anything like that. When you see a car, how do you know that it's right. a cool car? I, I, I firmly believe in the fact that a car is has to be beautiful. I mean, it, it is, it's, it's somewhat like a painting, but it really isn't a painting. It, it serves a function. It has to move. It has to perform, especially a sports car. 
So to me, the beauty is really in functionality of the car. So if I see a car that is functionally designed, I have far more respect for the car than car that is just pretty, but is not functional and does not perform. It's just like a, a scissors. You know, if you can have the most beautiful scissors, but if it doesn't cut the paper, no matter how beautiful the scissors is, it, it doesn't perform what it's designed to do. Yeah, so to no, me, it's... Nobody yeah. likes a dull scissors. <laughs> right. <laughs> They're dangerous. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, so, man, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and giving us a little bit of a, a backstory on Gunther Works. I think, uh, I think that went well. Thank you so much for calling in, man. All right. Thank you, guys. Yeah, take, take care of yourself. Bye-bye. We'll be right back. All right. We are back. Much thanks to uh, Peter from Gunther Works for yeah, getting the really scoop on that car. You know, you see it. I wonder. I would. I'd really like to drive one. <laughs> yeah, you know, I would, too. I was going to make a joke when he said they're all spoken for this year. I go, oh, I had my <laughs> deposit ready, man. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we have a couple questioners from our listeners, and I, I think the, one of these is, is pretty cool. Uh, Matt Schaefer and Blake Lertzman want to know what to bring on a road trip for tools and spares. Okay. Now and gonna, you are kind of the expert on this. Yeah. Have you broken down like a long way from home and just been on the side of the road? <sighs> I, I don't know if destitute, I have. Now that I'm sad, about alone. It. <laughs> I've ran out of gas a few times. I, so I had a, <laughs> when I met my wife, first yeah. of all, I had a Ford Probe. And she says it was the pink. The pink Probe. But yeah, it was actually this. magenta. Okay. It wasn't pink. It was mm-hmm, magenta. Mm-hmm. But after that, I had a B4 Passat. B, yeah, B four no, it was a B four facade. Okay. It was a two liter ABA, but the, the really weird headlights and grill on those. Nope, that's a B three. Ah, you're the, right. The one with okay. no grill. I actually, that was a really bold. Like, that was a bold design. With I no, guess. just think about it. Think of the next that's car. Look at it. <laughs> I was gonna just say, think of the next car that didn't have a grill. Yeah, it was Tesla. Everything yeah, more else, or less. If, so they obviously they, Volkswagen should sue them and steal. Sure. For stealing the design. Anyways, you had a Passat. And that thing kept running out of gas because the gas gauge was wrong. I'm like 21 years old or whatever. So I'm with Jess, my future wife, multiple times where her dad had to bring me gas because the stupid thing. So that was never, never really good. So, But obviously you don't bring extra gas with you when you're on road trips. But I've broken down a lot of times. Countless countless times. (laughs) And the one thing that you should always, always have is AAA. That is, that's cheating isn't it's it not cheating because most of the stuff if you truly break down you're not going to fix it mm, that's so, disappointing however i will tell you of one road i went on a road trip with my grandfather okay we went out to mark one madness which is a show out in pennsylvania okay it's all mark one volkswagen golfs okay and i had a which car was this probably a volkswagen it Golf. was a volkswagen <laughs> rabbit it was a manila beige car that had a I think it had like a 1.7 liter gas engine that I took out and I put a two liter ABA engine in it, which is a two liter oh, yeah. eight valve engine. And then I put the new speed supercharger on it. Oh, cool. Which I is, always loved those. Which is a, one of my favorite swaps that I've ever done in okay. a Mark 1. I've done a lot of swaps in Mark 1s. 1AT, <laughs> 16 valve this, 16 valve that. Yeah. Carbs, not carbs, CIS, standalone, diesels. mega squirt, diesels, turbo diesels, everything. These were and, basically your Legos. They were. In life. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And the and the new speed supercharger is is really good. It's low boost. You know what? You're supposed to put a chip in it and do the special injectors. All I did is put a different math sensor on it. 
and bolted it and just bolted the thing on and just drove it oh. and it was awesome the thing made the coolest whining sounds yeah, but anyway so i'm in the car with my grandpa we're out in pennsylvania and he's always because the thing was slammed yeah i mean it's really low tucking like a 195 45 tire <laughs> 15 <laughs> so no clearance no clearance we're out in the on the turnpike in pennsylvania and we hit like a an expansion joint okay and for some reason you know the c-clamps that you have on exhaust yeah. yeah, they like an exhaust couple like, slides in and you put a seat right. clamp on it, right? I had it turned down so that the bolts were facing down. Yes. And I hit an expansion joint and it pulled it off. <laughs> <laughs> so then the exhaust like broke in the middle and was yep. dragging on the ground. And I had to pull over. And of course, I had the tools. Kay. I had to walk back and find the clamp. Oh, sure. So I had to walk back like a quarter mile on the freeway. <laughs> it's like a million degrees. Find the clamp. My grandpa just goes, he just gets out of the car, goes, sits up on a hill with his little hat and just watches me fix the car. <laughs> That's I had a, funny. And I had a jack. And I had, you were set to go. I had a jack. Obviously, I, had, for, I usually have um, a jack. I have 13, or I have everything from 8, 10, 13, 17, 19, 22, 24, and 30 millimeter wrenches. 30 millimeter? What are you going to do with that? I don't remember what I needed a 34, but you need. I needed a 30. Maybe it was... Uh, That's big. Yeah, it's big, but maybe that was like the axle or the nut for the rear drum. I don't remember what okay. it was for, but I needed a 30. Maybe I didn't. Maybe that was a different car. But I usually had that with me anyway. Um, 22 is for t- tightening like struts and stuff like that. Right. I wanted to be able to fix anything that would come loose. Okay. Because I would I put all the suspension on, so yeah. I wanted to fix anything that would come loose. <laughs> so then I had all those, and I would have deep and shallow, and then I would have a ratchet, and then I would have a wrench of each type as well. Wow. And then I would have electrical tape, mm-hmm. zip ties. Duct tape. Duct tape, electrical connectors, extra wire. Yep. Just in case you burn out a wire or something melts or whatever, you can rewire things. Um, man, like oil, extra yeah. oil, maybe some starting fluid, depending on what vehicle it was. Uh, just, just all of the basic tools: screwdrivers, long and short, Phillips and flat, Allen's, six, eight, ten. Allen's. So how much weight were you adding with all these This tools is probably back? a 30 pound tool bag. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. As opposed to when you were along, I had a what, like a 200 pound tool bag with me? Oh, oh that, okay. That was pretty good. That was not quite too. No, I'm not 200. But <laughs> I, I'm just I got guessing. your joke. Um, yeah. So that's <laughs> that's usually what I bring with me. I was me. like, what did you bring? So I fixed all the exhaust. Me. Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> so I fixed the exhaust. And then later on in the trip, the thing would always kind of bottom out a little bit. Just, okay. You could hear it go, you would just yep. hear like oh, a, yeah. just a little. And I thought it was the tires, but it turns out it was actually the drain plug. Oh, no. On the oil pan, because on the Volkswagens, it hangs down yeah, so just it's a the little lowest bit. Point. Just the lowest point of the car is the drain plug. So I eventually <laughs> wore that out. And I'm looking in my rearview mirror, and I see like this glinting. Oh, this no. This glinting. And I'm like, what is, what is that? I could just see it like just glinting, like sparkling behind me. I couldn't figure out what it was. And then all of a sudden I look at my rear view mirror and it's really, or my uh, rear view, rear window okay. is really dirty and kind of oily looking. Oh no. So I pull over and sure enough, it's just drizzling out. Not much. I mean, it, right. it just so you wore still had oil pressure, still had oil pressure still... and everything, but it was just, I drizzled out a little, I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. So my buddy, <laughs> this Tom, was, was this the same trip? Same with your trip. Grandpa? Same trip. Oh, so my, my buddy, Tom Fries, who I listens to the podcast. So he remembers all of this. Okay. Um, he had an extra oil pan with me, with him. Why? Because we all run around. And, uh, <laughs> isn't the reason not obvious? It is, but that's ridiculous. From this point on in all my Volkswagens, I did have an extra oil pan in the patch just that's for this very reason. Ridiculous. It is. So here's the pain in the butt part is to get the, there's 
the oil pan bolts are really easy to get out. Okay. Just take them out, except for the two or three that are in between the transmission and the block. Sure. You have to take off this little metal plate and use a uh, an U-joint. So I had a U-joint with me, yep. like in a little adapter, yeah. to get the Allen wrench in there to to take that off. Or maybe it's like a 10 or something. I don't right. really remember what it, what it was deep deep inside there. But I ended up swapping the oil pan on the side of the freeway, and it was 95 degrees <sighs> and hot. And my grandpa just goes, why does this thing have to be so low yeah he just does he just didn't understand he never really complained but he's always just so do you, you have a whole case of oil i think i basically had someone give me a ride to a gas station to get oil you wow know, just, i put whatever crappy yep. you know sitco basic 5w30 <laughs> oil or whatever and i'm sure have. you used an epa approved disposal method for all that oil so as well. here's the funny thing is is that it, it was basically <laughs> the exxon valdez anyway because it was leaking out yeah, but we were in a construction zone yeah so i went and i grabbed those bags that hold the barrels down yeah what are full of sand sandbags yeah and i i just used sand and kind of tried to clean it up and then brushed it off into the dirt well, that's better than I would have thought you would have done. I tried done. to. I, yes, I always try to clean up after yes. myself. Um, I I've broken down many many times. I had I had the corner of an engine block break off once where someone had helicoiled it. <laughs> I've had. I've Were had, you driving when the engine block fell off? Yeah, I was driving, okay. and the corner of the block fell off. All of a sudden, there's just coolant spewing everywhere. I remember opening the hood, being like, "Oh man, I'm going to have to add some coolant to this thing." Yep. And then I said, "Hey, start it up," and I just see coolant shooting. <laughs> Out of the corner of the block, I'm like, "Well, this that's is done. not going to be that's a the engine I threw repair. in the, That's the engine I threw in the dumpster of my apartment building. <laughs> that, uh, I've had many times. I've had many timing belts break, and on engines that Ooh. aren't supposed to be interference, but somehow they were. Oh, really? Yeah, I've had that happen. But most of the situations where a car breaks down, I'm in. I'm in my home city, home yep. area, and I just use AAA and tow it home. On road trips, I usually bring all the tools. And I haven't really had to do much, which has been great. But still, you know, 13, 10, 13, 17, 19 rule, screwdrivers, Allen wrenches, vice grips, uh, adjustable wrench, sure. usually just in case. Yep. A hammer, usually have a really big fucking hammer. <laughs> just because something just, is going to be you, seized. Yeah, well, Jeremy Clarkson inspired that. I just always have a really big hammer around. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, like Murphy's Law will state that if you bring a replacement part with you, you won't need it. Right. So, Part of a theory could be just bring every single replacement part you can have and it's then whatever it breaks down, right? If, if, I might as well fill up the tool bag. I might as well fill it up with everything <laughs> that I have. Just fill the thing up. That's basically what There's it is. There's a joke in there I, about you filling me up with beer right now or something. <laughs> I have <laughs> a big pry bag. bar. I usually have a big giant what pry bar with me. What are you going to do with, with that? I don't know. You never know. I don't know. I think I used the pry bar when I was doing the exhaust. Yeah. Just to like hold it, hold the exhaust down without touching it because it was hot to, you know, get it to fit back in. And you know, so you and I went out to Road America last year, which is coming up again this next weekend. Yeah. That's going to be good. You know what we should do? What? We should record from Road America. We should yes, take we the should. stuff with us and see what we can do. I, we can record from my should. tent. But I was going to say, I had only had my 911 for maybe a month. Right. And I drove it out there across Wisconsin. And I remember filling up all of the like spark plugs, belt, tools, everything. I had a, a spare tire, uh, air com little air compressor thing, and everything else. And I'm out on the road halfway through Wisconsin. I go, I don't have a jack with me. <laughs> I have everything except a jack. Do you have a factory a jack, jack in your car? No, I don't. Okay. <laughs> so I just thought it was funny. Like, you can prepare for everything except for the one thing you forget. Yep. That's what'll get you. Yeah. So I, I usually have a little bitty jack with me. You here. know what I also didn't have? A spare key. Yeah, you lost your key. That was that was that was, that was brilliant. Extremely well, we brilliant know work. now that you could have actually just shown up with your key and saved the day. 
now we know that right. we can get into each other's car. So the the lock your stuff in the car thing is my door locks don't actually. Well, they do work now. I think I fixed them. Yeah, I fixed them when I fixed the door. So there's nothing to worry about there. Anyways, are you looking okay. forward to Road America? I am. It'll be exciting. What do you want to see? Uh, I oof. I know what I want to see. I'm gonna. I have a project that I'm gonna do. Oh, you do? Yeah, I'm hoping to see as many Lola T70s as possible because that is my favorite looking car. I like the look of that car better than a 917. Okay. I love the Lola T70. They're so such an underdog back in the day, and it was able to right. win some races. And there, nobody really. There's so many. There yeah. all there's a lot of them when you're around. But if you look carefully, everything's really really cool in those cars. I like them. Yeah, I just want to. I want to spend some time in the paddock there and just take everything in. Where are you staying? With you. You are going to stay. You're going to camp out. I have not made any alternate uh, <laughs> accommodations. You're basically stuck with it then. Well, the nicest thing is, did we already? We didn't talk about this on the podcast yet, did we? We have a shady spot, RV spot. A shady, but mm-hmm. here's the deal: waking up at the track. Oh, right. In the morning, the alarm clock is the cars going by. No, the alarm clock is. Good morning, Road America. The guy comes on the announcer. It's the same guy every year. Says the exact same thing. And then you usually I'm up a little bit before that. Sure. And if you can get up before that and walk around the paddock when all the cars are just covered up and you can see the guys peeling the covers off the cars, it's a really unique, quiet, lonely experience before everybody gets out that's there cool. and gets in your way. So that's I'm also looking forward to that. Yeah. Really so nice. stay tuned for that. Yeah. So another uh, question is Nate Auger wants to know what our thoughts are are on High compression and E85. Okay. What are your thoughts on high compression? Well, and I know. Are we e- talking <laughs> high compression as well as E85? Or are we talking about? I think what he's getting at is the fact that E85, which is, of course, 15% ethanol, has a, or is it 85%? 85%. ethanol. Thank you. 15%. Non- it's E15. Yes. Correct. Which is also something you can get. I think most stuff is actually E10, yeah. E15 now. Right. Anyways, uh, the additional ethanol in the fuel actually adds a uh a property of the higher octane right it's but it has less same thing less volumetric efficiency it has so it takes less, a lot m- uh what do they call it mass or energy per mass right volumetric it's less volumetric efficient. efficiency is basically how much power you can make out of how much displacement i'm talking about as a fuel right there's less volume it's less efficient there's for the less vol- chemical energy per mass of right. that fuel however what you can do with the 85 because it has such a high resistance to detonation is you can run much higher compression but you basically have to have hose buckets for injectors <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're right I you mean, have to run a lot more fuel through just to make any so you power get, you get horseshit fuel economy yep and it is cheap but here's but you the pr- can't find it but you can't find it anywhere <laughs> and I'm not a huge fan, I'll be okay. honest, because I don't like the idea where you can't get gas wherever you want to go. Just like I don't want a car that needs to run on 93 octane. You have the 93 yeah. octane tune on your car, and you need to run that. So then you're like panicking. Oh, I need to find a, a the same thing with station. the like when we go on the cruise later or the rally yep. in fall. I want to be able to just get gas. I don't yeah. want to have to be oh I need this that or the. It's too much. At what point does your Evo need to be 475 horsepower instead of 400 horsepower? Come on, like. Just to run E85, I don't so know. that's I your thought. That's my thought. Plus, and just in terms of high compression, mm-hmm. a lot of motors now are direct injection, high compression, turbo. So they're right. high compression, turbo, but they're all unreliable, total garbage engines that nobody seems to be able to get their program together with making a reliable one. They all seem to have their issues, whether it's gumming up. So now, you know how the direct injection engines have valve 
the valves get dirty. Right. Right. The RS4, I had to do a valve cleaning on that car. That car's direct injection. That's one of the first vehicles that came out that's direct injection. So now what they do is they have a upstream injector, <laughs> which basically defeats the purpose of direct injection. Right. So basically it run it runs a just a little bit of fuel to clean the injector. Through off. the intake manifold. So, so to not only it. is it you have a high pressure fuel pump. You have an additional fuel source to clean the stupid valves off right. on a turbo high compression engine with really spindly lightweight rods just to keep the rotating mass down to get the mm. most fuel economy that you can possibly get. It's just it's just a nightmare waiting to happen. And no manufacturer seems to be able to get their program. Well, together. they're all just eke out that last little bit of efficiency until they all go to electric cars. Right, which Good is point. which is a pity because we're all getting these crazy direct injection engines. What I have a stupid observation. <laughs> Your observation is stupid, or is no, okay, you have an observation I, I, about something that is stupid. Yes, the latter. <laughs> I like the first Thank option you better. Clarify. <laughs> no, we're watching a stupid movie last night. Some stupid Netflix thing that my wife picked out. But this woman who's supposed to be the stereotypical like successful. I'm going to clip female, that and send it to her. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> Anyways, the stereotypical professional female in the city, she gets down to her car that she has valet parked, and it's a BMW i8. I can recognize it right away. Okay. She goes off and revs away. Wah, wah. They dubbed in like a Ferrari V8 Over the three-cylinder engine or whatever that thing has in it. Right, exactly. Ugh. Which just goes to show... You know what? People don't think those are cool. You know what's crazy? I was going to talk about this in news, but I can talk about it here on, in terms of the i8. So you know that BMW's chief uh, CEO quit. Okay. He quits. And the reason, well, one of the reasons is, is because they they couldn't keep up with the demand for electric, blah blah blah. But anyway, so Mini came out with a car, which is BMW, right? Their first electric car. Oh, I didn't know this. Yeah. Guess what the range is? Oh, I I got to pull it up because it's funny. Um, oh no, is it just dismal? Yeah, it's really bad. Let me come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Okay, so a hundred guess. Just I kind of just said a hundred. Anything <laughs> under two hundred is terrible. Brand new mini, yeah. one hundred and twenty-four to one hundred and forty-four miles is the range. Why have a car then? Thirty thousand dollar car. Ugh. All they did is take the i three tech and just shove it into a mini. Right. Which Rather is than innovate, and heavier and everything else. This this one says one hundred and sixty-eight miles. Anyway, anything less than two hundred miles. Or 300 miles is completely unacceptable. Right. That's pretty bad. That is absolutely awful. So um, on that I, note, <laughs> I think, yeah, I think that's uh, all we have time for today. I know we've got Joel Fetters coming in and I know he's going to be here in a minute. So yes. we're going to hop off. And you know what? Before you do that, though, be sure to hit that subscribe button. Leave us that five star review like we talked about. And also check us out on Patreon. That's right. Patreon.com slash Overcrest. Support the show. Support the creators that do things that you like. This is the, I mean, this is an awesome time to have content. There's so much content out there, of course, right. but if you want to, you can choose to contribute to the people that directly create what you like, which I think is amazing. Absolutely. All right. Take care guys. We'll see you next week.